Investor Creator teaches both seasoned and new investors how to buy the right houses at the right price anytime you want. This podcast is about answering one question. How can you build a sustainable six or seven figure investing business that changes your life without sacrificing your freedom? If you want to know the answer, you're in the right place. All of this information is 100% free, so please subscribe to and review our podcast. Hey guys, welcome to Investor Creator, where I tell you the truth about what it takes to become a high-level seven-figure real estate investor. Guys, we're in the middle of the holiday season. We're doing the family and turkey and all of those kinds of things, holiday shopping. And what that means for my business is we're kind of slowing down. We're looking at the past year and what we've created. We're super happy with what we've done. And also, we're having a little bit of a slowdown in the market. So from Thanksgiving until New Year's, we generally see that buyer activity kind of slows down as does seller activity. So we're kind of enjoying the lull because we have been rocking and rolling all year. So it looks like my wife and I and the family, we're going to go to somewhere in Florida. I think maybe the closest place we can get to that's warm. Okay. So maybe that's Clearwater, Tampa area, just get somewhere that's warm, spend a few days for our anniversary and get away for a few days. So I'm looking forward to that. Guys, I do want to apologize from the bottom of my little real estate heart because it's been a couple of weeks since I've recorded. So I wasn't feeling that great and I kept fighting going to the doctor. And, you know, you can ask my wife, I'm a little bit stubborn at times. And it's like, no, ego says I'm not going to the doctor. I'm a man. I can fight this and all this. Well, after about two weeks of not feeling good, I finally bit the bullet and went to the doctor. And they were like, yeah, Brad, you've had strep for like two weeks. So that was exciting. Got some medicine and I'm on the men. So we're, we're coming back at it. I do have some guests that are coming on the show. I've got Justin Pierce, who's a regular Washington Post contributor, has been in a variety of uh, news articles regarding real estate and is widely considered one of the top investors in the country. So we're excited to have him on. And he's done everything from flips to commercial to new builds. We got into a variety of conversation about those things. So I know you guys are going to enjoy that. I've also got Glenn Harold going to be on the show. And Glenn is widely considered to be one of the top hypnotherapists in the world. So he's based out of Great Britain, and he is a master at mindset, at creating uh, shifts in thinking, and also overcoming fear and these mental blocks that we all have. Because I think it's important that we're beginning to get to a season where we're looking at our goals, and we're looking at our goals for the next year. And a lot of that is going to be based on, okay, fear. And what do we think we can accomplish? And especially if you're new at this and you start creating goals, you can find that it's very difficult because you kind of have this like devil on one shoulder and angel on the other kind of component where you begin to write out a goal that feels good for a second, but then you you start thinking, well, I can't do that. Like, and then the fear comes in of how could I do that? And there's too many problems and all that. So we're going to have Glenn on the show. We're going to have a big conversation on how to overcome those fears and those mental blocks that really a lot of people have. And, and frankly, I would say almost everybody has. And, you know, I, and I'm no exception in that. So, you know, we're going to go into that. And I think that that's going to be a lot of fun. I did get a Facebook message from a new friend, and I've made a lot of new friends based off of this podcast. And he had a question about what to do if a seller tries to back out of a deal. So that's what we're going to talk about today. But before we do, I want to go over the deal of the day. So to tell you about this deal, My acquisition guy was out of town. He was actually in Savannah, Georgia, taking care of some business that we have down there and clearing up a title. We had a lead come in. This was an internet lead came in about 3 a.m. this past Saturday. And so I was actually up with my little boy. He's teething right now. He's about six months old. 
I saw the lead come in. And so I Google the address and I look at tax record and I see that this is a pre-foreclosure deal. So I see that there should be motivation here. And then I also see that he bought this so far in the past that unless he's refinanced recently, he would have a pretty serious equity position. So that morning we call him, we call him again, we call him again. He doesn't answer. Finally, we send a text message and he replies and we set up the appointment. We actually do the triage call over text message. And so we're asking all the questions that we need to know to verify whether we want to go to this appointment or not over text. And so that was kind of fun. And so we set the appointment for 9 a.m. on Monday. So to tell you about the deal, I pull up and I actually recorded the negotiation. So I'm considering putting that on the podcast so you guys can hear a real negotiation that goes on between a buyer and a seller. And especially in this situation, because the motivation is apparent and it's like real motivated sellers are not created by us. They're brought to us by the marketing. Okay. So we have a real motivated seller here. I go through the house. We begin negotiating and here's the numbers. So he owes $121,000. The Zestimate was $268,000. And whenever we did the triage call over text message, he wanted $14,000 to walk. Well, one of the things that we're going to be talking about today is in some relation negotiation. With that, I got him down to $9,000. We took the $121,000 subject to. And so that means that that loan remains in place. We're going to take title subject to that lien, and we're going to give him $9,000 to walk from the house. He is 10 payments behind, so we're going to catch those payments up at closing, and we're going to have a house with a pretty good equity position. So we're kind of trying to figure out if we want to retail out on this one or if we want to wrap it. I'm kind of thinking that we're going to wrap it. I wouldn't really make much cash on the front end, but we'd pick up a pretty serious note on the back end that would throw off, I don't know, probably eleven dollars or $1,200 per month. And so in a deal that we have no cash in, that is not a bad little return. So that's kind of the direction that we're thinking about going, but I haven't finalized that decision. We're going to see what the market does after first of the year, which would be after I close and just kind of see what we want to do with it. And that's fine. You know, there's no bad way to take a great deal and that's what we're going to do. So moving on, what do we do if a seller backs out of the deal? I want to preface it by saying that this is in part a negotiation issue and negotiation starts with your marketing. That's a big, big thing, guys, because a lot of people don't realize that there's a a different negotiation dynamic depending on what kind of marketing channel the lead came from. So let's look at it from a push versus pull marketing perspective. And what I'm saying by that is some forms of marketing are push and some are pull. Let's take direct mail. In my opinion, direct mail is a push tactic for marketing. So you have a yellow piece of paper that looks handwritten. It's sent to a list. And the recipient goes to their mailbox. They're not actively searching for someone to sell their house to, but they get a piece of mail. They open it up. It looks handwritten. And the seller can assume that we sent them the letter based on wanting to see their house. Now, they don't really know that we send tens of thousands of those per month, but they may assume that we are interested in their house only. So what does that do to the negotiation frame of that transaction? Seller thinks that they have something that this buyer wants and only wants that house. Like we're driving neighborhoods to see what kind of house that my spouse and I want to buy. We see this house that looks perfect. And so we send them a handwritten letter. Well, we all know that that's not the case, but they don't know that. So obviously the negotiation tactic and framework is changed by that marketing piece. And we take that versus radio. So I've run radio ads and I've done quite a bit of that. And so One thing that I really noticed was that the dynamic of the negotiation changed 
whenever we started getting radio leads, especially whenever I showed up to buy the house. And you think about that. The listener hears a radio ad. They say, gosh, that sounds like what I need. I need to call this person. And then they call the number in the ad and they're actually talking to the guy that was in the ad. So they think that we're some kind of a real estate celebrity. And so we go to the appointment and we negotiated the best owner financing terms we've ever had based on the owner finance, based on the radio ad that we created. It was then that I really understood that your negotiation starts with your marketing. So one is a push marketing tactic, direct mail. One is a pull, which is radio, and there's other forms of each, okay, but just to give the example. And so we can see that the negotiation is going to change depending on what the marketing piece is. The whole issue of what do we do if a seller backs out of a deal is we have to understand that it's a real possibility that the deal didn't stick because we didn't do what we needed to do to create the deal structure that we need to where the seller feels like they should continue with the deal. How do we make deals stick? So the first thing that I want to talk about with making the deal stick is social value and frame. Social value and frame. Let's take an example and let's take dating. Okay. So I'm sure that we've all had someone, a boyfriend, a girlfriend that we have been interested in and they're cute, they're funny, they're smart, they're all of these things, but they're incredibly needy. If you're a man or if you're a woman and you have someone that you're interested in and they text you 65 times a day and they're angry if you don't call them back within five minutes, then obviously they're like super needy and that's unattractive. Well, the same thing can go in with our deals. So if we go to a seller and we knock on the front door and we start pitching them on, I'm the best at buying houses and, and I'll give you the most money and we can close on whatever date you want to. And you know, if you want to leave the house a mess and that's fine. And let's talk about your dog and your friend and your family and your job for two hours and all that. So I had a, a friend of mine, he's more of an acquaintance, but I, I was trying to help him get started in the business. And I never could get him to stop talking about football and politics and religion and all of these things for two hours before he went in to actually close and buy a house. So he spent way, way too long on rapport. And I've, I've talked about that in the Negotiation Sins podcast episode where we talk about like, don't do these things, okay? But it's worth being repeated that our negotiation can or cannot make the deal stick. So we have to have in relation to the deal, high social value, high social frame. We're not going to spend two hours on rapport and we're going to go in to buy a house. So the opposite of what I just said, you know, we're in and out generally in 45 minutes. And so when I recorded the negotiation, the negotiation from the time I was in my car to the time I was back in my car was 45 minutes. And that actually included a 10 minute phone call where the husband talked to his wife and made sure that he was able to go forward with the transaction subject to. So the next point that I want to make is we have to make the negotiation somewhat difficult for the seller. Let's take it again. Scenario one, scenario two. So in scenario one, the seller gives you a price and you say, oh, that's a great price. Let's go ahead and do that. Here's the contract. Let's move forward. Well, at that point, you're beginning to kind of chase the seller. And those that chase, if you're being chased, you kind of move away from it. It makes the seller a little bit nervous, like maybe I should have given them a higher price. Maybe, you know, at the end of the day, we're making it too easy for that seller. So we take scenario two. And so in scenario two, whenever the seller gives us a price, we kind of balk and we don't rush forward with it and we have to think about it and we hem and haw and all that. It creates some stress for that seller. 
and they think, well, gosh, maybe this isn't going to work. Maybe I'm not going to sell my house today. Maybe this investor is not interested. It's one of the, the main thoughts in social frame and social value that people want what they can't have and people chase what moves away from them. And so if we set up the scenario in which they give us a price and we don't immediately move forward with it and we create stress to where maybe the seller thinks, gosh, I just gave them a price that's too high, then we're creating stress that's going to make the deal stick because we finally have an agreement. And I mean, it's one of my things. We've negotiated furniture that we don't want. We've negotiated timeframes we really don't care about. Because if we're going to give something in the negotiation, then we have to get something so that we're not getting overrun, which makes our social proof and social value and our frame go down Okay, within that scenario. So we have to be mindful of these kinds of things, because if a deal doesn't stick, guys, there's a good possibility it's our fault because we didn't do what we had to do with our marketing. We didn't do what we had to do with the negotiation in person. And with that, then we have a real problem because that's a problem that is within our control. We can't control people that change their mind because that's going to happen regardless of what we do. But if we have a structural issue with our marketing or the way that we talk to people in person, then that's a real problem because that's going to be fundamental to our business. You know, we cannot have those kinds of issues in our business. So let's talk about what we actually do if the marketing piece is in good shape and we know we did what we had to in our negotiation and we have a seller that tries to back out of a transaction. The first thing that we do is we record a memorandum of contract against title. So our paperwork allows us to record a memorandum. And what that memorandum does is it allows us to go to the register of deeds at the courthouse county seat in your area and record a cloud on that title. So basically the memorandum says, I have a contract to buy this property and nobody else can buy this property. It's notarized, it's filed. And so if this seller tries to sell this house to anybody else, then what happens? Like you go to the title company, the title company pulls title and they see, oh, Brad has a contract on this property dated last week. We cannot sell because Brad has this, this contract. And so they come to us. Factor number one, that's step number one, that we record the memorandum of contract. Once we record the memorandum, we have a frank conversation with our sellers. It's like, look, there's two options that you can do here. So let me preface it by saying, if we have a seller that has their home, okay, and they've legitimately decided they no longer want to sell, they want to stay in their home, that's their forever home, and they're not going to sell to anyone then I feel like it's pretty fair for us to let people out of that agreement and with the caveat that we get a 15-year first right of refusal at the same price. And so what that means is that if the seller decides to, at any point in the next five years or next 15 years, to sell that property to anyone else, then they have to come back to us and sell it to us at the same price. If after 15 years, say it's 16 years I decide to sell it, then we're out of the deal. And so the funny thing is that out of all of my transactions over the eight or nine years at this point that I've been doing the investment side of real estate, I've not had a single person take that option. I've never had a single seller after them telling me their story that, hey, you know, we want to stay in the house and, you know, we don't want to sell anymore and all of this. And I tell them, okay, you know, that's fine. So why don't we do this? You give me a 15 year first right of refusal at the same price and I'll release my contract. And I'm not going to force you guys to sell it. You guys can stay here. It'll be just like we never met. I've never had a single person go for that because it really, at the end of the day, some people are just greedy and they have no concept of what an agreement is. And they decide, well, I just want more money. Well, that I'm not too good with. 
Okay. So we enforce our contracts. We enforce our agreements because I'm making an agreement to them to buy the house. And so as soon as that happens, I take that cash off the table and I'm holding that money for them. And so if I'm holding that money for them, that means that I'm taking cash away from other deals that I could be buying. If I'm doing that for them, then they need to hold their agreement to me. If they don't take option one, then option two is we're going to enforce the agreement. We start off by sending a letter from the attorney and it just says, hey, there's a binding agreement on this property and we've already filed a memorandum of contract and we're going to take this to court, which is going to incur attorney's fees at your expense. And if you want to net the same amount of money as what you're hoping to do, we need to move forward to closing. And a good chunk of the time, I would say over 50% of the time, that letter will solve it. You know, they'll, they'll come to their senses. They'll say, okay, you know, I made an agreement. Let's move forward. The other 40 or so percent of the time, we do have to file a lawsuit. And that's fine. In my agreement, we actually have a $25,000 liquidated damage clause, which says that if our seller backs out and we have to file a lawsuit, that we're automatically charging them a liquidated damages of $25,000 in addition to the attorney's fees and costs that we expend, we incur at our expense. So let's take an average house. It's like, okay, if we're buying this house for $200,000 and they owe $100,000 and they're going to get $100,000 and walk away, and I have to sue them to get them to abide by the agreement, then they're going to walk away with now $75,000 instead of the full hundred. And that's just like, it's exhausting to go through lawsuits. It's really a pain. So it's like, okay, if I'm going to have to think about this lawsuit and show up in court and do all of this, and I'm going to be paid for it, we have an initial point in our agreement. It's $25,000 for them to back out of the deal. And I've actually never had it get that far. You know, usually if we sue and they see that we're serious, then there's some kind of a negotiation that happens and they agree to move forward with it because they really don't want the $25,000 taken out of their proceeds. And frankly, I don't want to take their $25,000 out of their proceeds. I just want to move forward with the agreement the way that it should have been done in the first place. So guys, I hope that makes sense. I'm really excited about the future. We have some people coming on that um, if I told you their name right now, you'd know who they are. I mean, these are you know major business people, but I really don't want to to uh, say their name quite yet because we're still scheduling the interview. So we're really excited about that. And we're going to have also in the next couple of weeks, a goal setting session. We're going to be talking about how to create our goals for the next year, because I know 2019 is going to be just complete with all of this opportunity in the market because things are changing. And when there's change, there's major, major opportunity. So I'm really excited about the new year and I'm excited to work with it together. Guys, hope you have a great day. Happy investing.